Hello guys, uh, welcome back again. Uh, this is going to be my first ever solo episode of the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast. And this is also going to be the first episode where you can watch my face for the entirety of the episode. So we will see how it goes. And, and actually when I'm saying solo, it's not entirely correct because I will be picking from a couple of sound or video clips from uh, other podcasts that I've done previously or other people have done. So I will reference all of those videos or podcast episodes in the show notes so you can go ahead and check them out because they're really good. So in this video or podcast, rather, I would like to talk about something that I've spent a fair amount of time thinking about over recent years, and I also spent a fair amount of time listening to other people talk about this topic, and that is body fat set points and settling points. And what I would like to do in this episode is not um, discussing any kind of mechanistic stuff behind leptin and ghrelin and refeeds or anything like that. Uh, if you're curious about something like that, then go ahead and listen to any interview that Lyle McDonald or Eric Helms has given. And by the way, I will be playing some clips from them in this episode. But rather, I would just like to kind of see if there is a consensus that we can, for now, all agree on. And whether there is actually such a thing as a settling point or set point. Um, do other, some people have an easier time maintaining lower body fat percentages than others? And if so, what kind of things play into that? So that's for a lengthy intro. And, um, just as kind of like a two minute, uh, recap of this entire concept. A number of years ago, maybe around like 2008 or so, this notion was put forth by a couple of experts. And I think Lyle McDonald was definitely one of the pioneers here. Also, Martin Burkan has written about it, that your body more or less has a, a set body fat percentage that kind of likes to hang around that. So for some people, it's lower. For some people, it's higher. But let's say if you are a guy who is at 15% body fat, and at that body fat percentage, you just feel good, energetic, you're not hungry, you're not thinking about food, then that's kind of the spot where your body wants you to hang around at more or less. So if you try to go below that, you're all of a sudden will go hungrier, uh, you will be more food focused, and you will be less likely to move around randomly, so your energy expenditure will be lower. And conversely, if you are going from 15% body fat to 16%, because let's say you went to a wedding or something and you overate, then you may well find yourself again at 15% body fat, because your body just doesn't want you to be so quote-unquote fat. So it will basically do things to your metabolism, your energy expenditure, and you know your temperature regulation, things like that, that will make you expend more energy, reduce energy intake, and overall lose fat. So basically, that's the gist of body fat set point theory. Now, very quickly, it was realized that it's not as concrete or not as exact, like the body's way more nuanced than that. And it's not like your body decides that, okay, I want this guy to be 15% body fat and nothing above or below is acceptable. So it quickly, not quickly, but over time, it transitioned into being called a body fat settling point. So it's more of a range of body fat percentages that your body likes to hang around in between. So maybe for some people, it's between 12 and 15%, and for other people, maybe higher, maybe lower. And I think to really conceptualize why it is reasonable to believe that this is the case is because if you ask, for example, any competitor bodybuilder who has been, you know, 7% body fat or lower, what they will tell you uh, invariably is that hunger is through the roof, satiety signals are non-functional and are really, really bad, so they don't get full from meals, 
they feel hungry very often, and they are basically just living from meal to meal. And I think what's important to understand is that it's not really just this magical thing that all of a sudden happens when you are super lean, but it's rather kind of a dose-response kind of thing that happens alongside with body fat loss or body fat gain. So, for example, if you're going from 14% body fat down to 13% body fat, which is still, you know, a healthy, a reasonable amount of body fat to carry for a guy... Um, you're still experiencing all those same things as that bodybuilding competitor. You're just experiencing it at a much lower scale or smaller scale. So hunger is still increasing relative to where you were and your energy expenditure still goes down relative to where it was, but you're just not noticing it quite as much. But really, from what I understand about this whole concept and I think where we stand today is that your body senses two things, your body fat level and your caloric intake. And when those two things start to drop, then your body is basically ramping up hunger and lowering your metabolism somewhat, more to other people than for others. So with that, I would like to play you two short clips from uh, Menno Henselmans, probably more most referenced person on this channel, who, as far as I understand, doesn't really buy into the whole uh, body fat set point or settling point theory. And let's see what he has to say, and then we will comment on that. The mechanism is not that uh, you have a settling point or something, it is just that at some point, um, you can pretty much always, um, with proper food choices and psychological tricks, um, keep hunger at bay, at least until contest prep level. So 7% or something for men, which is really in like early stages of contest prep, you can get there without any hunger, but it has to be get progressively more extreme. So at some point, you know, you could uh, live without hunger. And I think hunger is really the, the crucial issue here, but it will require sacrificing so many options and just living on veggies and lean protein will be very difficult uh, without a ketogenic diet to get enough fats in that um, the, the well-being simply it's not worth it. So in terms of physical health, you can easily stay at that body fat percentage. I think a lot of people here also confuse physical and mental health. So physical health is generally not the problem. The problem is mental health. So it's very, very much a psychological issue and a personal cost-benefit point where at some point it's just not worth it being that lean. So what a set point is, is and some people say we should use the term settling point. Um, I think Eric Helms also um, uses that term. But I'm more in favor of uh, completely getting rid of the whole concept because there is no such thing. What, what happens is a term I like to use because of my background in economics is equilibrium. So there are various factors in, in someone's lifestyle, their food choices, how often they go to the gym, their activity level, they determine what kind of energy balance someone ends up in, especially if they're not tracking their macros, because most people aren't in the research that we look at here, uh, the people at yo-yo diet. So these factors over time, they tend to drive someone towards a certain equilibrium level. If you do not make lasting changes in those factors you don't make sustainable lifestyle changes you just go on a diet and then you go off the diet then the same factors that got you fat in the first place will mercilessly get you fat again because nature doesn't care it just sees these parameters and these result in this um this other parameter basically so there is no uh, nothing magical going on here basically it's just the effect that 
certain things will get you fat, and if you do them again, they will make you fat again. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sustainable changes in your your food choices, um, increase lean body mass to increase energy expenditure, those kind of things. Okay, so what we've heard here is that there is no such thing as a settling point. It's merely a practical consideration of what kind of strategies are you willing to take on to keep hunger under control. So he's very much hunger and satiety focused. So, you know, maybe when you're at uh, 15% body fat, then simple strategies like eating more fruits and veggies and going to the gym and things like that, those will do to keep you full and not hungry. But when you get much, much leaner than that, you may have to take on more extreme strategies. And it's simply a practical consideration that is just not worth it. Um, at first, uh, it sounds very, very reasonable. And I would say it's largely true. I would say not quite. And the reason I would say that is, is two things. Number one, there are a lot more subtle things that go into well-being and even hunger management than just simply the feeling of fullness or satiety and the absence of actual hunger. You can be, in my experience, and I think a lot of you have experienced the same thing, you can be food-focused and kind of just living from meal to meal uh, and not be actually hungry. So yes, you're not getting crazy hunger pains and you don't have to battle yourself through an hour of hunger before each meal, but you're just still thinking about food and, you know, let's say you go for a walk and you can get to your huge plate of fibrous veggies by 4 p.m. and you just go nuts because you're just not resilient. And not to mention that there are other things, uh, subtle things that go into well-being, things like energy levels, things like sex drive. Um, I can tell you all, for those of you who are not watching this, just uh, listening to this, I'll put up a picture here. And on this picture, I'm probably 10% body fat, 9 or 10% body fat, probably. And this is kind of the cutoff point for me. If I get, I could go leaner than this. So let's say on this picture, I'm 10%. I could go leaner than this, maybe like 9%, or I can go a little bit above. And there I'm 11%. Um, in terms of hunger, those two states are almost identical. So I can keep hunger perfectly under control. I, you know, I, I can eat my meals until satiety. I can stay here without tracking my macros. From that standpoint, it's perfect. But if I'm looking at like sleep quality, if I'm looking at sex drive, how likely I am to just move around randomly, how big of a, a desire I feel to go for a long walk on a nice sunny day, it's a night and day difference. Can I prove absolutely 100% that I feel better in this latter scenario because I am fatter? No, I can't. Because someone could come and tell me that, well, dude, how much are you sleeping? And I would tell, okay, I sleep eight hours. It's like, well, that means you probably have to sleep nine and a half hours and then your sex drive and your whatever overall um, well-being would be higher. Um, but there's the thing, like if you have more body fat and you eat more food, then you are more resilient to things like sleep deprivation. Um, now, Menno in the second clip touched on the fact that it's basically a matter of uh, adopting lifestyle choices that will have you gravitate towards a certain amount of energy intake and thereby body composition. But it's still not just as simple as managing your energy intake in an enjoyable manner because there are huge differences between people. I mean, it would be hard to find an actual scientific case study for this, but I would bet that we could find two guys who are same height, same weight, same body fat percentage, same caloric intake, same everything, but they just have massively different experiences eating that same amount of calories and their overall perception on well-being is different. Also, if someone has naturally higher levels of testosterone, for example, 
I would expect that person to be much more resilient to lower amount of calories and lower body fat. So there are definitely individual variances in this. So for example, I know a guy, uh, this is a normal size guy, but like typically one of those like naturally ectomorphic or like leaner guys. And he says that he has just a huge amount of trouble gaining weight. And that, that's crazy. Like he told me that he missed out on social events because he was bulking and he was afraid that if he goes out, he will expend too much energy. So instead he just stayed at home so he wouldn't expend too much energy and eliminate the caloric surplus. Like insane, right? Like 99% of people in the fitness world have the opposite problem. They don't go out because they don't want to overeat. And on top of that, he said that for example, he would be at home and he would be hungry, but he would just be too lazy to go to the kitchen and prepare for himself a meal. So he would like get by on like a thousand or 1200 calories. So crazy, right? And he's a normal sized dude. So is that like a physiological thing that drives him towards that behavior? No, I would say it's more his personality and his relationship with food. It's just completely different than that of most other people. And this is a, a good segue into another topic, which is very much related, which is the impact of your environment, the people around you and sociology. So this will, these will be clips from uh, Eric Helms and Lyle McDonald. And let's comment on this afterwards. So, yeah, I think there, there, is, there is rich and healthy debate around the concept of set points. And I think probably the safer term is to call them settling points or maybe even settling ranges. Um, because in a human, uh, a set point is imp set point implies biology. And in humans, biology has very little to do with, well, that's not very, it doesn't have as much to do with our eating behaviors and our energy intake. Uh, and our energy output uh, compared to, say, an animal in the wild. We have a huge sociological influence. You know, were you raised in a family where you had to finish everything on your plate? You know, were you raised in a family where you were poor and, and you actually went hungry a lot of nights? Um, were you raised in, 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 in a first world nation or a third world nation? Like, these are going to drastically affect, uh, you know, where you hang out and, and, and your body weight to give some extreme examples. So really, I think the best way to look at it is your settling point range. And um, we have seen that very easily society can overwhelm that. Mm. I don't think that our set points have been just going up over time for no reason. Like the obesity epidemic's natural. You know, we're just hanging around our normal body weight of, you know, a 35 BMI. Like, no, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so what's going on there? Well, essentially, it's the interaction of biology and the interaction of sociology. So biology, in, in, a, in a perfect sense for each person, you know, if they had no influence from other people, would mean that there was a the point at which our hunger signals and our satiety signals were in line with our energy intake, and it would keep us, you know, on like because you know we didn't we didn't evolve tracking macros and weighing food and shit like that. You know, we eat when we're hungry and we stop eating when we're full. Mm. And your your settling point range is. The, the body weight range that would be dictated by that when you know, if, if you were just kind of just eating w w when, when dictated by those signals. So the settling point is, is then to say, right, but we don't just eat when we're hungry and we don't stop eating when we're full. So based on the interaction of biology and sociology, where's the range where you settle? Mm. And this then interacts with, okay, how do you deal with stress? Are you an emotional eater? Are you an emotional starver? Are you highly active? Are you highly inactive, etc.? Now, people will point out that, yeah, but how come the leaner, 
How come when you stay leaner for longer, it gets easier? That's probably behavioral. You know, most people, they're still, it just, you, your habits are becoming so well entrenched. Your training is so consistent. Your diet is so on point time. Even if you start to slip, you usually catch yourself. Because let's face it, you, we know, you know, belts get a little bit tighter. But there's really, unfortunately, no indication that set point can ever come back down. Mm-hmm. So until, you know, in, in no model they've ever examined, you know, you, they'll, start animals down and keep them there and just it the, the body never adjusts to that new new body fat level or body weight unfortunately okay so basically what we've heard here is that your environment has a huge impact on um, what kind of body fat percentage you will gravitate towards and also of course like intuitively everybody knows that a lot of the behaviors that in the beginning are totally weird to you you know like for example not snacking on pretzels and candy while you're sitting in front of tv um, not self-medicating yourself with junk food if you feel stressed or sad or anything like that these things are very very strange in the beginning and then later on they become second nature to the point where you can't imagine not doing these right things right but also a lot of environmental factors that we wouldn't think about which massively impact what we do so for example when i was in the netherlands and they have this amazing awesome uh grocery store called albert hein and they have just this phenomenal dairy section. They have these amazing frozen strawberries and raspberries and uh, mixed berries, all of those things for a reasonable price. Um, I had a, just a breeze easy of a time uh, staying lean all throughout my time in the Netherlands, basically. And when I went back to Hungary, I mean, in our grocery stores in Hungary, the average energy density of foods is like the twice that off in the Netherlands. So all of a sudden I had a much more difficult time staying lean or getting lean. Um, does this mean that my physiological set point changed or anything like that? No, it was an environmental factor that I had to manage. And all of a sudden I had to adopt new eating behaviors, food habits, and, you know, I had to modify what I was buying in the grocery store. But the subjective experience was that it's just all of a sudden a lot harder to stay lean or get lean. Also things that are kind of uh, woo-woo, and of course they are hard to pinpoint objectively and quantify it scientifically or anything like that, but happiness, you know, how happy are you in life? Are you excited about things? Are you being challenged? These kinds of things. Um, I can tell you that when I'm in like a fresh uh, relationship kind of thing, or maybe I'm really upset about someone, uh, my appetite is like cut in half, you know, again, like did my physiological set point change? No, it's just like food is like the least thing on my mind during those times. And when I settle into a comfortable routine, my day starts to flow in a robotic kind of fashion and um, maybe have some a few things that I want to procrastinate on uh, chronically, then, you know, energy intake starts to slowly go up or at least my appetite definitely goes up and managing energy intake all of a sudden feels to be so much harder. So... A lot of subtle things go into this. So overall, what's the conclusion? Well, I don't think we are necessarily there that we can draw a definite scientific consensus. But based on my experience, based on seeing other people, and based on the clips that I just played here, I would say that there has to be four pillars that needs to be tackled before you kind of know that is this a sustainable body fat percentage for you long term. So number one, and I fully agree with Menno, is that hunger is definitely has to be the core primary thing to manage. I mean, you can't live with hunger. I mean, you can, because unfortunately, a lot of, you know, a good portion of the world does it involuntarily, but voluntarily, no one's going to do it long term. So hunger has to be managed. Um, 
Next thing, which is a little bit more subtle, but it's food focus. So, okay, that's one thing that you can always stuff yourself full of veggies and, you know, just eat a shitload of volume of low calorie foods. But are you still food focused? Are you getting general uh, satisfaction from your diet? And are you resilient? Or do you have to be like on the clock downing your next plate of broccoli and whatever lettuce? Um, that is very, very important too, because it plays just a massive role in overall life satisfaction. Third thing would be overall well-being, energy levels, um, you know, just feeling active, feeling energetic, having good sex drive, sleeping well. Um, those kinds of things are pretty subtle and sometimes they can be hard to pinpoint because, you know, if you've lived your life with the low energy levels and you didn't sleep well for a long time, it can be hard to know what are you actually supposed to feel like. But, you know, I know that once I get too lean, my sleep quality goes to shit, sex drive goes to shit, morning woods disappear. You know, it takes a little bit of a trial and error. But that would be pillar number three. And then pillar number four would be the lifestyle that you are not only able to realistically take on, but enjoy at the same time. So, you know, if you are have been if you're a fitness professional, if your entire ecosystem is basically set up that you can support a lean uh, body, even your friends are into fitness, maybe you're working in a gym or something like that, then yeah, probably your lifestyle is well suitable for maintaining a super lean physique. But at the same time, if you just want to live life like most people do, have an active social life, go out, have drinks, uh, do all kinds of things like that, go on holidays to random places, you're friends with other people who are not necessarily into fitness, and you want to do a lot of the things that they do, you just happen to also like to work out and look better than the average person, then probably you will have to revise your goals a little bit if your idea was to maintain like a crazy six pack year round. So that would be my overall conclusion. Um, I don't think that we can state with absolute certainty whether there is such a thing as a body fat set point or settling point. Um, I think maybe if we just look at the raw data, it's contentious. I think if we look at real life practical experience, we can just find too many outliers and case studies where people just have so much of an easier or harder time maintaining certain body fat percentages relative to other people that it's just hard to dispute the idea that it's more than just about managing hunger and satiety. And there are other factors that play into this that we may not think about. So uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be my long ramble with some clips on the whole body fat set point settling point uh, theory. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I will be recording more of these in the near future. I have some cool interviews coming out soon, um, but it's been just a little bit more challenging to arrange them uh, than it has been before. So um, yeah, if you enjoyed this one, maybe leave a comment and suggest some topics that you would enjoy hearing about or um, anything like that. Um, basically, I'm, I'm all here for you. So uh, yeah, hope, hope you enjoy this and see you next time. In 2011, I looked up one day and I was only nine pounds over stage weight four months post-show. And I was like, I'm more interested in pizza than my wife when she's naked. This is stupid. <laughs> I'm going to get fatter. I had the control. I had the experience because I'd been competing for, you know, five years um, to have a quote-unquote intuitive approach. But All right, guys. I would just like to give a big shout out to the awesome people and content producers that have supplied the clips that I played in this shorter format episode. So HBA podcast episode 39 with Menno Henselmans was one episode. Jeff Nipper's channel supplied two clips. Uh, the reverse dieting debate was featured briefly at the end. 
and the Strength Athlete Podcast featuring Eric Helms. That episode was hosted by Bryce Lewis and a clip was picked from that one as well. So I'll link all of these in the show notes and make sure to go ahead and check those out because they are really, really cool episodes. Again, I hope you enjoy this shorter format kind of content and let me know if you'd like to hear more of these in the near future. So thank you for hanging around up until now. Uh, please subscribe to me on YouTube if you watched it there or if you listen to it on SoundCloud, you can follow me there. If you listen to it on iTunes, uh, please leave a review. I have, I think at this point in time, like one review, uh, which is nice, but it would be nice to have a little bit more. So um, thank you for hanging around up until now and see you in the next episode.